Hello everybody and welcome to chapter one of Social Dreaming. Simeon Ligovsky has a mousy nose and blonde hair poking all over the place around his head, like he stepped from a Calvin and Hobbes book. Nostalgia makes me a pushover. I worry if I do or say the wrong thing, I'll ruin my reputation as a babysitter. After Simeon chomps crackers on the sofa, I take his plate from the living room table. I watch over his head at the That's So Raven episode on the TV. It's that episode that turns into a horror story with a killer nanny. When I was his age, I turned off that episode halfway through. I fear becoming that babysitter, being a pushover for so long that her rage explodes all at once. I twist the faucet and run the plate under the stream of water. You won't end up like that, Donna. TV is all a lie. You've got a grip on your head. The TV wails. The episode flashes above the rim of my glasses. My stomach twists as crumbs slide from the plate and down the drain. I'm not good at controlling Simeon. At least he's only 10. If he were older, he'd be harder to control. I grab the remote from the couch and slice off the episode at the part where I would turn it off eight years ago. Hey, Simeon jumps up. Time for dinner, Simeon. He points a palm at the TV. I wasn't finished. I shake my head. Doesn't matter. He reaches for the remote, but I hold it above my head. Crossing his arms, he pouts his lip and grunts. Sitting at the table, I rest my face in my hands as Simeon stabs at meat and potatoes from a china plate. My stomach growls and I swallow. So, anything interesting happen at school today? Simeon chows down a forkful and slobbers, and I grimace. He chews saliva and potato rolling down his chin. Mama said it's the six-month anniversary of her divorce. My eyes widen. Well, that wasn't a very nice thing to say, now was it? I pull my fists from my cheeks, and my face aches. How was chess? Simeon chokes on a potato skin and coughs in my face. I hold my breath and close my eyes. It was good. The kids are so easy to play against. I can't wait until this weekend. What's happening this weekend? I'm going to the tournament. He frowns and his fork clatters to the plate. You forgot? Ah, right. I remember. I rub at the corner of my eye. That will be fun for you. 
You live moves ahead of me. A snowflake falls from the needle of a branch and drops on my eyelash, jolting me from my rerun of last night. Why is it that I store arguments with 10-year-olds in my brain space? My boot digs into the ground and I smudge the snow into sludge. Empty apart from me, the building is a spitting image of the five years I spent in a Russian elementary school. I shudder at the memory. I don't want kids because I don't want to relive the my childhood years through them. Although I miss being a kid, my cell memory must remember all that I've repressed because looking at the school makes my eyes heavy. If I had to return to elementary school, <laughs> I'd punch myself in the face. Not that high school is any better. I have three months to go. Once I graduate, I'll never think about school again. Ah, the bliss. The elementary school is empty outside. Across the street, a block of houses begins, but the neighborhood feels deserted. With the side of my boot, I wipe away my footprints. The snow dampens my socks. It's good I haven't met my favorite celebrity. She'd ask me what I'm doing with my life, and I'd say I'm swirling slush with my toe at 13.50 on a Thursday. A bell rings. I startle, sliding on snow. Cement digs into my palm as I catch on the perimeter of the play area. Kids bang open the door and trickle onto the path, running to the parking lot, where parents push open car doors from the inside. Sixth to exit, blonde hair and a brown coat catch my eye. Hey, Simeon. I raise my glove to high-five the kid half my height. Snow falling, snow spreading, snow piling. We tromp down the block. Simeon is talking about what he learned today. Oh yeah, because I asked him. The, the pawns are the weakest, but you shouldn't checkmate them because, because they're useful later, he's saying. To become queens? Simeon stops at a puddle of ice to promote into queens. He kicks the sheet, his heel pounding like a hammer into the white layer caked into a dip in the street. We shuffle through snow, Semyon tromping ahead of me. Snow clings to my pants as I trudge after him, boots dragging on my ankles. Not to mention the hole in the toe, because I'm a genius who wears the same boots for five years. Though I've earned babysitting money, I worry about spending it. What if I need it for an emergency? My backpack straps dig into my shoulders, and I hunch forward. 
I have an aid kit, a lighter, and a second scarf. Prepared for any scenario. It's what makes me a good babysitter. Dad taught me that I should carry a lighter. Dad, I can't even use a lighter, I said. It hurts my thumb. Trust me, when you need it, you'll use it, he said as we hiked through the back county. I protested his collecting mushrooms in a basket after I read about a three-year-old eating a mushroom from their backyard and dying. And yet, you eat the berries, Dad said, pointing my outstretched arm to a blueberry bush. That's different, I said. Dad shouted with laughter. Simeon makes like he'll toss a snowball at me, and I flinch. He launches the ball at a tree trunk, and snow explodes on the belly. This is totally like Calvin and Hobbes, where Calvin and Hobbes are playing snowball fight. This fight is one-sided, because I'm lugging Simeon's backpack in my arms. Guess what, Simeon, I say. It's my birthday today. He freezes from gathering snow into a new grenade. Really? I nod. I wonder, am I still a teenager if I'm 18? No, he says. 18 is an adult. Teen is in the name, I argue. Why does adulthood begin at 18? He lifts his nose and closes his eyes all matter-of-fact. Because it does. As we approach the Ligovsky house, Simeon's pace slows. Donna, what's up? I, I try that thing you suggested for my nightmare. I grip my backpack strap. Did it work? He shuffles his feet. No, his head lowers. It made things worse. Sweat forms under my deerskin hat. What happened? A demon ran up to me and stood in front of my face and it wouldn't leave. A demon! I dig in my backpack for the house key. Jesus, that's terrible. The door swings open and a finger points in my face. My stomach drops. Mr. Ligovsky, you're back early. Mr. Ligovsky's face is red, his hair standing up and slicked with gel. He's buttoning the collar of his shirt. I need to have a word with you, young lady. Yesterday at the dinner table, Simeon grew quiet. I need to tell you something, he said, moving bits of potato and animal fat around his plate. I watched his fork and waited. People will tell you the most when you say, stay silent. They'll fill the void. He dropped his fork. I'm getting nightmares. I winced at the clatter. If you want to avoid nightmares, 
All you have to do is control the nightmare. How? By turning it into a dream. What voodoo are you teaching my child? Demands Mr. Ligowski, snapping me from my memory. I didn't hire you to give him insomnia. I, I didn't mean to. This is unacceptable. What are you thinking? Mr. Ligowski grabs Simeon's hand. You, young lady, are fired. My nose grows hot, like he slapped me in the face. But my things. Take them and go. Leave my house. I wipe my nose against my sleeve as I pack my things from the guest room. Mr. Ligovsky stands in the doorway. You're not seeing my child again, he says, scowling. The heat coming off him hurts. Giving him night terrors like that? Shame on you. It wasn't me, I say. I tried to help. He told me he had night terrors. How dare you try to blame him? I'm tugging on the zipper of my suitcase, and my breathing shortens as my suitcase won't close. I yank out a sweater, roll it around my wrist, and shove it into my backpack. I wipe my forehead in relief as the suitcase zips closed. Mr. Ligovsky is frowning at me, his arms crossed. For three weeks, I've been working as an au pair and had my own bedroom in the mansion on the outskirts of St. Petersburg. And it's all gone down the drain. I'm nearing the door when I stop. I haven't been paid this week. My stomach twists. My future self will kick me in the head if I leave without payment. I turn around. I must ask him. It's now or never. What is it? Mr. Ligovsky stares at me. I scratch my arm. May you please write my check? Tight-lipped, he hands me a wad of cash from his wallet. I tuck it inside my coat pocket. Mr. Ligovsky, breathing down my neck, I squeeze out the house. The door slams behind me. Flakes fall on my glasses and blur points of my vision, smudging a birch tree into the black and white of a newspaper sitting under the rain. At the train station, I buy a ticket to my home district at the opposite end of the city. Mom won't be happy when she hears I lost my job. Knowing I like to travel, she wanted me to get away from the apartment. I grew up all over the world, and I've been living in the same apartment for five years. I was itching to get away, if only for winter break. As I board the train, electronic music blares from a speaker. I yearn to listen to music from my childhood. Slick guitars, fingers sliding across strings, and a drawl behind every word. A baritone with a cello. It's been a whirlwind day, and this song or 
advertisement or whatever is playing is winding me up like a metal mouse. An ad on the train wall promotes real estate, saying, invest in Peter. Out the window, a couple huddles on the train platform. That looks comforting. To have someone with you at all times, someone steady that will be there for you. I wish I had someone like that. The first thing I did when I moved schools was scan the class for a new best friend. In most schools, kids had chosen their best friends in first grade. I resorted to hoping a new kid would come along. You don't need anyone, Donna. I rip my gaze from the train window and hug my knees to my chest. You're perfectly fine on your own. The man sitting catty corner from me sticks his hand in his jean pocket. But in my peripheral vision, it looks like he stuck it down his pants. I haven't worn jeans since high school. By that I mean the beginning of high school. I'm wearing khaki pants with a white stain on the calf from where I tripped over a paint bucket. Mr. Ligovsky painted his house once a week. I can tell mom he fired me because he needed change. The train winds north, tracks bordering fields that were full of beets, carrots, and cabbage long ago. Before, my grandparents' farms were seized and handed over to shared ownership, then shut down by perestroika. I juggle misery and elation, misery and elation at losing my job and having no friends and no future until a robotic voice is saying my stop on a speaker. I step out of the train station to sewage and cigarettes. The smell hasn't changed. My foot dips into cracks in the footpath and a crow argues at me. My stomach grumbles for stew from the pot into which mom tosses each day's leftovers. When, when I pass through an archway, my stomach drops. My apartment building is in ruins. Ten stories in a heap. Beeping, a crane grasping a cinder block crashes into the pile. And the first floor topples over, the last floor to go. What is going on here? My building is being torn down. Mom didn't tell me our building was being destroyed. As hail hits my cheeks, my breath shortens and wind tousles my hair. Where is mom? Did she move without me? I turn around and retrace my footsteps, stepping over cracks as my suitcase rolls behind me. As the wind whips, I wish it could speak. It would say, you should be somewhere far away. This is not the place for you. On a coliseum-shaped building hangs a sign, 
Market, 10 to 18. People roam past booths. The booth nearest the entrance sells calendars with pictures of the Russian landscapes and prints of paintings from the Hermitage. I pick up the receiver of a payphone and the mouthpiece cover falls off. I spin around and wave down the first person I see. Excuse me, may I use your phone? They look at me like they want to throw the phone at the side of my head. But to my surprise, they hand me a cell phone. Muscle memory dials my mother. As the phone rings, I fiddle with the cross around my neck. My parents put it on me after I was baptized at four months. I don't know why I wear this cross. It's a limb I crave to saw from my neck. I'm scared of what mom would say if I snapped the string in half. Mom's alon is raspy. She needs to smoke to bond with co-workers. What else is she supposed to do during smoke breaks, she demanded me. I'll understand when I'm older, she said. Mom is telling me that she lost the apartment and has a new address. And you're telling me about this now? I showed up and the building was destroyed. I imagined myself sleeping outside in the dead of winter. Relax, Donna. Easy for her to say, relaxing inside on a Saturday. Where were you? I ask. I was sleeping. Sleeping? Mom, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. I look at the phone like I can see Mom through it. Hair wrapped in a towel, a robe around her front, tied into a bow above her waist. It is not. I was at work all night. We're after a high-profile group seen yesterday. Part of a big case. I gulp and rub my forehead, looking down and at the ground. I lower my voice. What's the new address? Mom gave me the wrong address. I've paced the street three times. There is no 20.5 Prospekt Himikov. I walk along the canal, rubbing my forehead, when a horse barrels at me, reins flapping against its snout. Yelping, I jump to the limestone stairs leading to the river. I grip the handrail as the horse gallops past. A teenager follows, clutching a top hat and tripping over his coattails. I left the city's elite to roam the streets and stare at guys running after their bosses' horses. I tilt like I should join the chase and help. Snow falls faster around me. The river sloshes, clouded waters riddled with snow. Catching my eye is a houseboat on the dock. Who lives in those grimy things? They're cramped and... 
and I do a double take when I read the numbers on the boat's plaque. 20.5 The door to the boat flings open. A woman with a dyed auburn braid frizzing from its hair clamp stares at me. You bought a boat? I shriek. Donna, what are you doing here? You were working. Mom opens the door and steps back as I thump into the house. Excuse me, house boat. I clutch the handle of the suitcase pressing against my leg. I, I lost my job. How could you lose your job? How could you pick up and move without me? The entire building was given six days notice, mom says. Don't tell anyone we moved. Your school doesn't accept anyone from outside that district. My heart pounds. I don't want to break the law, I say. I can always figure something out, mom says. You know that. In the living room that is to be my new bedroom, I unpack my suitcase and belongings from a cardboard box. I don't buy much. What is the point of buying something when you'll move and leave it behind? This boat doesn't have air conditioning, says mom, looking out the porthole. Thank God dad taught me to jump into ice rivers, I say. Dad and I would dive into ice holes and cliff jump into Glacier River. I bite my lip as mom frowns. She leaves and closes the door to her room. I fall onto my bed and smack my palm against my forehead. I shouldn't have mentioned him. Me and my big mouth. See... This is why in school, I'm quiet. Not because, according to mom, I speak Russian in an accent. I'm quiet because when I say what's on my mind, well, I swing, I miss. Thank you so much for listening. You've now finished listening to chapter one of Social Dreaming. Please subscribe and stay tuned because chapter two is coming very, very soon.